Hello, my name is Dr. Fabrice Robert Lubin, and I am a clinical psychologist. And I am Rachel Wagner, and I am a clinical therapist. Welcome to Mindful Chatter. This is a place where we keep it real, keep it relevant, catching up with one another, and most importantly, catching up with you. With me? With you. (laughs) With me? Yeah, you. Good. Yeah. Yeah. For catching. Yeah, I'm catching. Well, I guess if we're catching up with me, let's see, how am I doing today? I, is this the first time I'm checking in with myself today? That's not normal of me. You forgot you were Rachel all day. I must have. (laughs) Today's been a weird day, I guess. I wasn't able to get coffee this morning, and I think that threw me off a bit. And the only coffee we have left in this office right now is like crazy flavored coffee that's like cinnamon flavored or like coconut cream pie. I, don't I actually want believe that. that one of the flavors is called crazy flavored coffee. Oh my God. Which makes me not want to drink it, right? No. I don't want to drink Psycho Loco coffee no. roast. One of them has a question mark on it. I don't want a question mark. I don't want to not know what I'm drinking. It's an adventure. To be clear, I don't, well, that makes me anxious. So, anyways, how are you? I, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I, I've been like, I think this is the first time that I'm kind of settling into myself, similar to what you're saying. There are times where you just keep going with your day mm. and you forget that you're a person. Like oh my you forget, gosh, right. wait, I'm a person. Yeah. And I have wants and needs and desires and feelings and emotions. Yep. So I, I think I just woke up in myself in this moment. Me too. I'm really thankful that we have this space to be able to ground to reconnect and also remind ourselves and hopefully others that we need to make sure to check in with ourselves and throughout the day. One of the kind of getting into our topic for today. Wait, can I play something really quick before we get into our topic for the day? I would love for you to oh play something Oh my gosh, okay, really I hope quick. you're ready for this. Rachel, who are you calling? Worst sound ever. Or the greatest sound ever. Well, actually, it kind of was the greatest sound ever, especially when it when you then saw your AOL start to dial up and you're like, yes, I'm finally connected to the internet. I don't have to try to dial up again. As I was saying, I, I think that's such a symbolic sound of connection mm. to me. Mm-hmm. Well, like if somebody were to just make that sound at me. I would just feel like we're just best friends. Would you feel connected to them? I would. I, would. I, I just, I really just don't like the sound in particular, but I like what it symbolizes. I totally agree with you on that one. I think what's hilarious is the internet now is so silent. Mm-hmm. There is no connection sound. It's just always present. It's always there. And I think it even goes back to what our mornings feel like. When I think about my morning routine now, Mm. it's like my phone chirps me awake. Then I look at it to see what time it is. I check the weather. So instantly I'm kind of entering into this other world, this window. Oh my gosh, it's so true. Like literally same thing. I I use my phone as my alarm, so I turn off my alarm. And then to help wake me up, I start to kind of scroll through like the news and then I check the weather and then I 
see what appointments I have for the day. So you're right. It's like automatic. How many times do you think in your morning, just getting dressed, how many times do you think you check your phone before you even leave your house? Um. Oh gosh. Honestly, not too many because getting ready is like a to-do. <laughs> I've got to, I have to shower. I usually go and work out. So I'm on my phone during that. And then I come home and I shower and I get dressed and put makeup on and all of that fun stuff, do my hair. So probably like I wake up, I check it, and then I check it for the weather before I leave. And I might check like bus schedules if I'm taking public transit. So maybe like three times. So about three times, right? So just looking at that, now imagine that it wasn't there. Yeah. I remember having to call like back in the day when I was at my grandmother's house. This was like the thing that we loved to do, my brother and I. And it's a really weird thing. But we used to call the like weather station place and just like check the weather all the time. Like all the time. We would love to call this like weather channel place. And just they would tell you as an automatic voice thing that just told you what the weather was going to be like. It was like series What the time was. It was like awesome. Yeah, it was Siri's grandfather. Yeah, Siri's grandfather, Peary. (laughs) Who was old, but, you know, he was there with all kinds of information. Sure. But only weather-based. So when did you first become conscious of internet in your house or technology? So my dad was always a really, really big tech, like, fan. We had our first computer, I remember when he brought it home, it was a gateway. It was called a Gateway 2000. That's how old it was that they literally put 2000 in the title because that was so many years away that it felt futuristic. <laughs> and it was a, a to get really nerdy. It was a 486 slash 33 megahertz. So what that means is it was a you know 33 that? megahertz processor because it was like someone bringing. Means. Okay, so you know the way that they talk about. Yeah, it was, it was like the way the printing press was invented. Mm-hmm. When my dad brought home the computer, mm-hmm. he brought like a whole, it would be like your favorite uncle all of a <laughs> sudden was there. Um, so your favorite uncle was the computer. Was the computer, saying. yes. So that was my first kind of thing with computers. Then later, the internet represented... I remember we went to a person's house and it was also the weather. It was the weather. Mm. One of my dad's friends said, yep. hey, I How have this service called CompuServe. This is really old school. I got this service called CompuServe. It was like, look, you can check the news and the weather on it. That was all you could really do. You could totally. check the news, you check the weather, and there was like a basic form of email. Yeah. And that's when I knew that there was an internet to be had. And I remember I... I I remember my dad and I like were driving back in the car and we were just like, oh, we got, we got to get this. We got to be able to check the news and the weather. The I mean, internet. I was like, I was like eight years old, but I really knew that the weather and the news would be important things to check. They are important. I honestly, it's hard to remember the first time we got the internet. Um, I remember we had computers and I remember always being like jazzed to get online and um, type things. So I don't know. I, really was into typing when I was a kid. It's a weird thing. But my parents, (laughs) I don't know. My parents also um, 
were you wanted a, to be a professional typist maybe maybe that might might have been a career that i could have gotten into i'm a very fast typer so it's a, a skill that i have um but either way so my parents growing up really wanted us to to kind of live in the moment so we were pretty shielded from like tv computer internet stuff for a significant amount of time I didn't even get a cell phone until actually I didn't even have my own until like I was probably 17 or 18. I would use my brother's or we would share or I would take my dad's cell phone. And I remember he had the cell phone that was in the car, the car phone. Remember the oh, car yeah. phone? Oh, yeah. yeah. Huge, huge yeah. car phone. Yeah. Huge car phone because he yeah. has his own business and he travels a lot for work. So he had this sweet car phone. And I always remember like pressing the buttons on it. But I guess my first distinct memory was... Um, Cause I would, I would have been, I, we always used to call people in like middle school and we'd call like and get their parents and be like, Oh my God, is, is like Abby there? Can I talk to her? And by the time it was, you know, the internet was around, we would just be on AIM all the time. AIM chat rooms with all of our friends and talking about like the school dance or what was coming up next. So I think I was more conscious and aware of it in like middle school probably. Yeah. So, you know, I'm a few years older than you, so the the technology shift and I think with kind of people like five years younger is pretty significant. For me, I saw all the manifestations of the internet in terms of a lot of different, um, what I would say is different graphical user interfaces, the, the thing that you interact with. Mm-hmm. I saw them develop. So even before a AIM and all of that, there were things called, um, they would be called like, they were called like BB chats. So they'd just be these black screens and it would just be like pure text-based exchanges. I mean, it it was as rudimentary as you could possibly get. So old school. So old school. And then eventually I was hooked on this thing in, in high school. It was called Palace. 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 And Palace was the first chat-based thing that you could have a, a like a, a, what would be a GIF? You could have like a GIF and you could change your avatar to fit whatever and it would have like a little text bubble that would show up on the side so it was like this weird chat system where you could have like a little image that you could paste on a screen it was 2d flat and you would just the original bitmoji it was the original bitmoji Hmm. and what was wild is that as a really really nerdy high schooler this is literally where i learned to talk was through these online chats my my first girlfriend was a <laughs> was an internet girlfriend. Her name was Janae. She oh. lived in California. Okay. Um, Janae. I yeah. like that name. Yep. She was a model. Oh, of course she was. Of course she was. And we started to talk on Palace, which was that, that thing. And what ended up happening is that we started to call each other on the phone. Now, these were landlines. Hmm. And she was in California. So I was making long distance oh, no. phone calls to a girl who was a model in California. Of course. Well, so why wouldn't you call her? Of course you Why wouldn't her. I call her? Yeah. And this was before Facebook, before Google. So you before had no any, idea. Yeah, so you had no idea who you were talking to at the other end. You would just share personal information. So we would talk for hours on end. I accrued in that summer probably close to $1,000, if not more, worth of long distance phone bills. So dad... I'm sorry. I'm going to apologize for that. That's a lot of money. Yeah, I'm uh, not going to pay you back. <laughs> uh, 
But thank you so much for the support and love. Well, I think that there's been a huge shift in, in technology in that way. I think that you're right. It, it does provide us this connection to people that are far, but also people that are near. Um, and I find that in a lot of ways, it becomes like a convenience. Okay, my phone's right here. I'm just going to text this person really quick about like what's going on in my life. But it also sometimes replaces actual verbal dialogue and like catching up over the phone or even going and making plans with someone. If you can just do it, like if I have a friend that lives and I have a couple of friends that live in like New York, if I can just catch up with them via like, I don't know, text message or via chat of some sort, then why would I need to call them on the phone or why would I need to go and visit them? So I think that there's definitely advantages to it, but I think there's some disadvantages that come along with it. Well, there's definitely a an itch that can be subtly scratched through our social interactions on the internet. And as someone who grew up, like I said, who really found and discovered friendship on the internet, for me, I learned how to talk. I learned how to have emotional conversations. I learned how to go really in depth with people mm. over text. So what's kind of hilarious is that the internet for me wasn't something that locked me out of communication and connecting with people. It broadened my horizon and my connection. And I think that's people. so great because you took advantage of something that might inhibit you from being able to do that. Because I, I think sometimes we might use the technology that we have, whether cell phones or Facebook message or any type of messaging system. Sometimes it creates a disconnect in being able to actually have positive conversations in person. It's something to hide behind and we might not want to have a tough conversation like breaking up with someone that you've been with for a little bit or um, telling your roommate that you're pissed that they didn't put the dishes in the dishwasher. And it might be used in a way that's not as healthy because people don't want to have those tough conversations in person. And also sometimes people don't actually learn how to then translate from online communication to in-person communication. Right there, you're capturing this split between so many ways of dialogue. So somewhere between myself and let's say Alan or myself and you is a running log of our conversation. Totally. And it's static and it's direct and it's based upon kind of us typing, but also us interpreting what the other person is maybe potentially emoting. Yep. Then on top of that is like our regular in-person dialogue. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes now when we meet with people, we're bringing in like these two different channels yeah. into one space and we're like interchanging them. There's a, there's a line off of Frank Ocean's latest album where he says something like, so I text to speech. And it's just this tiny like, like line that he makes, but I thought it was so powerful in that he's saying, my speech now is no longer me just directly talking with you. Right. I text to speech. Right. I, I have to send my voice through like characters over an internet. Yeah, and I like this point that you're getting at too, which me, which says, you know, even through text or through the internet, but also in person, we interpret the information that we're getting and the conversation that we're getting from someone else in a lot of different ways. So if I'm feeling not great about, you know, my day and I've had a really stressful day and I get a text message from a friend that says something like, 
hey, I didn't get to see you this weekend. I might take it as, uh, excuse me, I didn't get to see you this weekend. What the F? Like, you're a terrible friend if I've had a bad day. There's this idea of this relationship mm. that exists, that can't exist through oral speech, right? I, I can't just go, well, you used way too many question marks at the end of that question. <laughs> I could talk about your tone. Sure. I could talk about that thing. I mm. think it's just really cool to look at these like, how the cyber kind of internet thing mm -hmm. filters into like our real relationships thing and how they kind of like amalgamate together now. And they're kind of sitting on top of each other all at the same time. And so it re recalls to me even now this idea of like, what is what does it mean for online dating? Oh my god! What does it mean for the fact yeah. that there's all of these modes of communication? Yeah, I'm so glad that you brought that up. I think online dating is such an interesting beast when it comes to um, communication and um, forming connections with people too. It's this this mode now that's so popular as a way to get attention to try to connect with people where you can like swipe through a thousand times. You can try to start a conversation with someone. If they say one thing that you don't like, you can be like, mm, nope, done on to the next one. And I think that that actually creates a lot of chaos and a lot of ways that internet dating doesn't always necessarily work because people aren't necessarily willing to put in more into it because they're not feeling connected to that person and they don't feel like they have much investment in this profile because it's not actual person. You mind me asking you a intense question? Um, I don't know. All right. So <laughs> how many how many online dating systems have you used within your life? Like if you had to count them up? Um let's see, probably like I think at this point three. I've used Tinder back in the day when it was just coming up. Then that turned into like a hookup site. So then I went to Bumble. Bumble is where the ladies um, have to chat with the men first. And then I tried out OkCupid, but I never actually met anybody from that. Yeah, so I, I've only ever tried Craigslist. And that was the that was the closest. What's what's that was the OG Tinder? Yeah, the, the well, OG Match.com. Yeah, that was the original. Like you would put out kind of just like personal. a message, yeah, a personal message saying like, "Hey, reach out to me," and then you just get these emails. And so even this idea of swiping left or swiping right or having images, I never had that. I never mm. utilized that. And what was that's what I think like that difference in our age gaps mm. represents some of like there was like a tiny window. Yeah. where online dating for people who are, I think are above like kind of like in that 33 sure, range, sure. it's still kind of a weird place versus people who are like maybe four years younger. It's totally acceptable. I mean, honestly, thinking about Craigslist dating terrifies me, especially after that movie, The Craigslist Killer. Did you hear about that? I did. It's like a real story and I'm like not into that. But that also leads into like safety and privacy and in this internet world. And, and what does that even look like? Because now you can look up people, you can get their background checks, you can do all that stuff. And I think technology is also really great for online dating. So me and my girlfriends, we all have um, the Find Your Friends app. So if one of us goes on a date, the other one will tell the other girls in our group like hey going on this date with this guy this is his name this is what i know what about him this is where i think he lives 
And then if I'm not home, check, find your friends. If I'm not home by 10 p.m., check where I'm at. I'll text you. I'll let you know if I go somewhere else. So I think that that also can provide safety, but it also can be like really scary as a woman. And I'm sure as many men too, um, in the world that might maybe identify as um, in the LGBTQ community or even straight men too, I'm sure that there's risks that come with that. But it can be a scary realm to go into when you don't know really anything about this person because they could just lie. I think the lying is actually becoming harder to do in many ways because of how much social media is relied upon as a way to verify and check. So now, I mean, how quickly... I don't know. How so? Well, how quickly after meeting somebody? Yeah. Even if you met someone in real life. Right. How soon do you go back and check their Facebook? Profile? But I'm talking like before you even meet them. I think that's the risk. I think the risk comes like before you actually get to meet this person. You don't have all of their information. You don't have their first name, last name. You don't have like maybe their phone number. Like you don't really have any information about them. It's different. Yeah. If you find out that information, then of course you can go back and Google search them. But I think that there is a risk to starting this process because you don't know them. I guess the the piece that I'm relating is that real life was more dangerous. Sure. Now, maybe less so because of the internet. So you can meet a person at a bar mm-hmm. and yeah, you'd meet them and they would tell you whatever it is that they wanted. And there was no way after that point you could be traveling for your work, anything like that. You you wouldn't so be you able. You don't have any yeah. more information. You didn't have other any more than, information. Okay, I now see what at you're least saying. there's a static profile somewhere mm-hmm. that you can check within nanoseconds. Google will know even before you asked <laughs> that you want to look up this person. Totally, totally. I see what you're saying. I think I misinterpreted where you were coming from. That totally makes sense. Yeah, I think you are provided more information. Mm-hmm via these online profiles about these people, but I still think it can be dangerous. I guess, like, do you feel like an adrenaline rush or like a no, sense of- I feel of, dread. I'm, I'm really, yeah. <laughs> I feel straight, straight dread. I'm not, no, I, I mean, dread and anxiety and just like, oh God, I don't want to do this because I haven't had success with it. So I think that that also goes goes with, I mean, I haven't been on a date in God knows how long um, via okay. online. So I think that that, I don't think for myself, I, I get the excitement, but I think that, that some people do get that adrenaline rush and like, I hope this person actually is really cute. We did connect online and we have a lot of the same values. So in person, like I hope that they portray all of those same things. You know what I would change about looking at sometimes dating online profiles? I think some of them, they ask about interests. They go into this idea of like, well, what do you, what do you like, right? Mm-hmm. What's your favorite books or favorite movies? I don't think that that's as relevant as, I would love to see them ask, how do you like something? So mm-hmm. for example, I don't care if your favorite band is like Radiohead or Tool or I, I would care if it if it was like Smash Mouth or Nickelback. I, I would definitely <laughs> Nickelback, care. Nickelback, yeah, that would be would, very important care. information to know. <laughs> Yet the question to me is how do you like something? Like, Do you like something enough to go to a concert? Do you like something enough to wear posters or mm-hmm. have a t-shirt on? Sure. And I think that shows you an expression of how you communicate and how, you're, how you function around things that are important to you. Yeah. And so I think sometimes online dating profiles, you can answer a bunch of questions and you can like, match 
based upon like a bunch of different like preferences that you say you like. Mm-hmm. But I also think there's like something that could go even deeper as to like, how do you like something? What do you experience around these things? I think that that comes after the initial meet. I think those questions are very relevant to go into more detail, even like maybe in the chat aspect. Like, oh, I see that you really like this band. Have you been to their concert? Or yeah, how do you enjoy like music? Do you like going to like live shows? Or are you more of a just going to the record store and kind of finding new records? I think that those conversations can be created because of the profiles, whether it's in the chat and in person. But I also find that a lot of times people don't make it past the chat. And again, I think it's what one person says one thing wrong, or they have one picture that's just like gross with them with their shirt off, in my opinion. And you're just like, no, like that's a little too douchey for me. And the whole thing about online dating profiles is that you can curate the type of level of people that you're trying to attract and who you want. So you post up that picture of you shirtless because you're like, I don't want anyone that doesn't like shirtless pictures. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. So if you're not into that, then go away. Well, and I think it's a self-esteem thing too. We post the best pictures of ourselves, but this reminds me of um, Parks and Rec. I love that show so much. And Tom Haverford, he's one of the main characters, he actually created like seven different profiles to connect with like different types of women. So he portrayed himself in a different way in each of these profiles to get like the sporty chick or the goth chick or the, you know, the nerdy chick. And it's like, I think it's the funniest thing ever, but that goes to show that in our profiles, we show the person that we want other people to see that same on social media sites, on Instagram, on um, Facebook, we like slap 17 filters on it and get the best angle. Whenever I take a selfie, I take about seven of them to make sure I can figure out which one I like best. It's the same gosh darn picture every single time. So look at what we're talking about. It's going back to what you're saying, the the positives and the negatives. We're talking about the curation of how people experience us. The internet allows us to curate mm. how a person is going to interpret us to like a really crazy minute degree. Yeah. You'll only know what songs I want you to know that I listen to. Right. You'll only know only the pictures that I want you to see of me. Absolutely. And so we we start to have this culture that's really around not being very authentic people, mm-hmm. but curated people. Mm-hmm. And that to me is just another form of kind of mild to overt censorship of self. Like we're basically saying, well, like you were talking about, if you say something wrong really quickly, nope, you're out. Yep. I think about that like dying in the conversation, the chat room. How do you even start up a conversation sometimes? Sometimes I, I feel like I would be so obsessive, like, hi. There can also be really positive aspects to the internet, to online dating, to social media posts. And um, a really good point that was brought up by Alan and something that I think is also really crucial is, you know, it shouldn't matter the amount of likes that we get. It should matter the content that we're putting out there if it's genuine to ourselves, genuine to who we are. So if it's like a picture of me and my mom, like hanging out with family is one of my values and I only get, well, it's my mom, so I probably get like 75,000 likes. But no, I I might only get 10 likes, but it's from all of my really good friends from like high school or from college or whatever. That should mean more than my one picture of me in a bikini and like 
you know, getting actually like 50 or whatever likes because I don't usually get any more than that. 50,000. <laughs> the, the quality of those relationships, and it reminds me of just all the stuff that we always kind of try to, I think, insert into our dialogues in here. It's just intentionality mm-hmm. that technology is neither good nor bad. There's, there's, we're getting into like a weird, like I think, debate sometimes where we're trying to like, we're like is Facebook a bad thing or a good right. thing? It's, it's here. It depends on how you use it. And I think there's like a ton of things that you can use it for that are really positive, like Facebook connecting with friends that are far away and doing Facebook chat. And, you know, I personally got rid of Facebook because for me, I was getting too caught up into the negativity of people posting really mean things, of people posting really like awful videos. I read the news. I don't need any more of that. And I don't need the fake Facebook stories. So for me, it wasn't serving me. And I would rather cultivate those relationships in other ways. But I think like, for example, LinkedIn is something that I find really an awesome tool to be able to help maybe send friends job postings or to be able to update my resume and link up with people that I'm interested to know more about how they do therapy and their style of things. So I think that there are definitely awesome things to the internet, but we need to be mindful about how we're utilizing it and if it's actually taking away from being present, being engaged, or if it's adding and saying, oh my God, my friend just posted the cutest picture of her baby and this is Mueller, so adorable. Like I want to eat his little cheeks. Like that's awesome. It's going to be a new app. It's going to be a baby eating cheap app. You can just <laughs> really eat all the cheeks of all the just babies all in all the, the world. The, that, that intentionality, that groundedness, that wondering and being curious, you have to kind of ask yourself, does this serve me? Does this bring actual sense of pleasure, elation, curiosity? Does it add something? Is it adding to my imagination for what I think is possible? Right. Because often when I get really hooked into the internet, it's me looking at the past sometimes very retroactively. So now I'm no longer looking at what's possible. Mm-hmm. I'm just looking at what happened before, judging myself against that, saying, oh, I was a lot happier then, or I looked really different then, or now I look better now, but now I'm wondering. Mm-hmm. But that's not necessarily increasing my imagination for what I can do right now. Right. What's it's possible. not allowing growth necessarily. And, you know, one thing I'd love to talk about maybe more is also too, just how much time it takes away. If I've had a lot of guests and even myself, their routine is to watch something like two to three hours of television or mm-hmm. two to three hours of Facebook or two to three hours of screen time. Imagine if you cut that out. Right. And you just chose to learn something new. And you did that every day. And two to three hours. And the internet to do that too, because you can utilize the internet to learn something new. So it's fine if it's screen time, but maybe instead of just like mindlessly scrolling through Facebook or an app or whatever, maybe it's actually trying to learn something new because that's an awesome thing about the internet. There are online courses. There are like colleges that actually reach out to people that wouldn't otherwise be able to get an education, which I think is so incredible. And now in this privileged mindset that I have, we could absolutely use the internet to grow and to expand and to learn more about ourselves and about others. I think that would be such a beneficial thing to do. Well, imagine what this podcast is really even about. So to get really meta and into this, we're attempting to go from people who consume media all the time, whether it's 
books we're reading, articles we saw, music that we really like, art, anything like that. And now we want to be people who are cre- content creator. Right. And I think that the, there's a really great distinction. If you're just like with food or anything else, if you're just consuming, if you're just inputting mm-hmm. and you're not outputting, then once again, you're not in that dialogue mode. You're not you're not in that healing mode. Healing is a dialogue with the self. It's a listening and a communicating. Mm-hmm. So we need to move and be aware of, am I just consuming a bunch of images on Facebook? Right. Or am I living a life that I'm proud of? Am, am I, I connecting? Am I, am connecting? I growing? Am, am I, I learning? Am I creating? Yeah. And that's one fun thing about doing this podcast that I, I, you're right, I really love is that we try to get this message out there to other people to continue to develop um, not just ourselves, but also hopefully create dialogue with other people too. Tupac has this great quote that I've always loved, and I'm probably paraphrasing it terribly, but he said, I may not be the person that changes the world, but I want to be the spark to the mind of the person that changes the world. Let's create a spark. Let's create a spark. Tupac. So to kind of encapsulate some of the stuff we hit upon today, there's this poem by Richard Brodigan called All Watched Over by Machines of Loving Grace. I like to think, and the sooner the better, of a cybernetic meadow where mammals and computers live together in mutually programming harmony, like pure water touching clear sky. I like to think, right now, please, of a cybernetic forest filled with pines and electronics where deer stroll peacefully past computers as if they were flowers with spinning blossoms. I like to think it has to be of a cybernetic ecology where we are free of our labors and joined back to nature, returned to our mammal brother and sisters and all watched over by machines of loving grace. So this has been episode 15 of Mindful Chatter. Help us create a spark or help us spread the spark that we are trying to create. Go ahead and share our channel. We're on soundcloud.com slash mindful chatter. We're also up on iTunes. Um, You can head over to our website at mindfulchatter.org. You can send us any inquiries there at the bottom of that page or also to mindfulchatterpodcast at gmail.com. Alan, as always, is the producer of our podcast. Head over, check out his music at soundcloud.com slash Vibes. Also, check us out on Twitter at mindfulchat. Um, and we would love to hear about you guys, about anything that you guys think. So leave any comments or leave any reviews that you have for us on any of these um, different channels that we have. This has been Mindful Chatter. We'll see you next time. Bye.